Okay. Goedemorgen. So if we've learned one thing today, we know when you're allowed to put your Christmas tree up and if you're allowed to put it up. So if some of you are not here for Christmas and you've put a Christmas tree up, shame on you. <laughs> the Christmas tree police will be around, which is me, by the way. I'm the Christmas tree police. I'm Scrooge in our family. <laughs> My daughter agrees. Good. Great. That's a good start, isn't it? Okay. Okay, as we're building up to Christmas, we're, um, we're going to be working through, I guess, a kind of a mini Advent series where we're just going to be in these few Sundays building up to Christmas, spending some time studying the birth of Christ and what Jesus has done for us. So if you want to find... Uh, the book of Matthew, which is the very first book in the New Testament. Uh, and if you want to turn to the very first chapter, chapter one, and uh, if not, it will appear as if by magic behind me. And this morning we're going to talk about hope. And then next week we're going to talk about joy. The week after that, peace on the 17th. And then love on the 24th. And as Joe said, we'll have carols on both those Sundays as well. So let's, uh, let's, oh, it was there, it's gone. Let me, here we go, let me read this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful truth of Christmas, that we believe in Jesus who came to save us from our sins, this one that we can call Emmanuel, God with us. Not God just in a fairy tale, or God in the sky far away, but a God who's come to us, who's lived among us, who knows what it is to wear this body, knows what it is to stand against temptation, knows what it is to have relationships and friends and pain and all the ups and downs of life. You perfectly walked that journey and you died and you rose again and now you've 
come to live in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and each one of us can testify to God with us. We thank you, that's the wonderful message, the story of Christianity that we wanna tell to this city, and we wanna tell it to our own hearts because we forget that Jesus is alive, and now he's come to live in our hearts and change us. We thank you so much for that. We pray this morning as we study your word that you change us powerfully, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, first of all, I just want to explain a few points about this story to you because I don't want to just pretend that it's not a bit peculiar because for some of you this might seem a bit weird trying to figure out what's going on in this story. Um, is, some of the, is this kind of part truth and part myth? Is it all just a, a fabrication, a nice story that we sing carols about? Just a distant thing that people tell and get excited about, but really everybody knows underneath. It's just, uh, it's just false news, fake news. Or is this true? Is this true? So let me just explain a couple of things that are going on here just to help you. First of all, uh, we came across the word here, uh, betrothed. Mary was betrothed. This idea of betrothal is like when uh, today a couple, uh, if they were going to get married, they would get engaged. But this was a much firmer commitment that they'd make to one another. They probably would have already stood together and exchanged vows and made a commitment to one another in front of witnesses. Uh, but because Mary probably would have only been a teenager at the time. She would have gone back home to live with her parents before they had their kind of formal wedding ceremony. And sometimes that period could have been up to a year where they would live separately after having this betrothal, this commitment. But in their culture at the time, this would have been binding. Once you've made that commitment, you don't step back from it. And any unfaithfulness, any sexual activity before marriage would have been considered adultery. They would have, been, it would have been highly immoral and frowned upon in their culture. And the second bizarre thing, probably the most bizarre thing, probably the thing that you're thinking, hold on a second, is this idea of what Christians would call the virgin birth. That Mary hadn't had sex, that she was conceived through the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, what, what is going on here? Now, the thing is, if, if you do the research, if you go away and look it up, I haven't got time to go through it this morning. If you try and research, was there a man called Jesus who was alive 2,000 years ago? The story that the Bible tells, particularly in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did, did this happen? Was there a man called Jesus? Did he gather around him a group of people who followed him and who worshiped him? Did he die? then actually, if you look at the research and historians from the time, it's very difficult. Even an atheist would say, if you go and research it, it's very difficult to argue that Jesus didn't exist. Almost impossible to come to that conclusion. Actually, there's a, a substantial amount of evidence, not just that Jesus died, but that he rose again. People wrote about it at the time. This isn't just a myth. This is true. This happened. I happily, if you've got questions about that, I happily talk with you about that on another occasion. And in the Bible, you get, as I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books, which people call the Gospels, which are like their, their eyewitness testimonies 
like when you switch on the news and they've got a reporter who's at the scene reporting live of what's going on. That's what these gospels are. They're stories, they're biographies, testimonies from the time telling us what happened, telling us about the life of Jesus. And in two of them, in both Matthew and Luke, they talk about this idea of the virgin birth. Both of them talk about this concept, this idea. And you might think, well, this is just laughable. This is just silly. How can we take Christianity seriously? You might just think, can't we just believe in Jesus and just ignore that bit? We'll just forget it. We'll just write that off. And some people do. Some people say, well, we can believe certain bits about the Bible, but other bits are just silly and we can just forget those bits. The thing is, if you take this out of Christianity, it all kind of falls apart, really. If, if you just say that Jesus was just a good man, who was just born of Mary and Joseph, he was just a good man with a good radical message, and this message, uh, if we study it and read it, can change our lives, that's not really what Christianity's about. Or if you look at it the other way and think, well, maybe Jesus is just like this kind of mystical, ghostly figure, that he was just kind of this strange divine being, like something out of a Greek story, a Greek myth. You could try and believe that as well, but again, that's kind of only, that doesn't really tell the full story of what's going on. A writer called Peter Lewis wrote this. He said, Jesus entered this world as no man has ever entered it. He continued in this world as no man has ever continued in it. And he left this world as no man has ever left it. That's a story that we believe. He arrived in this world as no man past or, or since has or ever will. He lived the life that no man past or since ever will. And he died and rose again like no one else ever has and will to save us. And this story changes everything. And we could try and reduce Jesus to some sort of kind of mythical ghostly figure or some sort of just nice guy. But the thing is, Jesus arrives to us, born of Mary, this man who gets to walk in our skin, in our flesh, experience life as we experience it. He stepped down into our humanity to save us but he stepped down as fully God with the power to save us. See, the Bible is a story of God coming to restore, of God coming to fix what's been broken, and mostly to fix our broken relationship with him. He's come to put it back together again. And he's not come as like a surrogate or a, a representative or, or a broker. He's not come to just show us how it can be done. He came to actually do it, to actually fix that broken relationship. Because God made humanity, God made us for himself as his prized possession. He made us for joy, for freedom, for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for liberty. There's a writer called uh, Augustine who wrote this probably about 1,500 years ago. He said, he's talking about God, you've 
made us for yourself. That's what we've been made for, for God, and that we can find our joy in him. Oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart will always be restless. We'll never find peace. We'll never find joy or love or hope. All these things that we'll be looking at through this Advent series, we'll never find any of those things. Our hearts will always be restless. We'll always find ourselves not quite at peace, struggling to really find joy. We'll feel, to some extent, unloved, unhappy, unless we're finding our joy in God. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And this is why this Christmas story is so true, so compelling, so powerful. I remember when, when I was uh, 18 years old, I brought my first car. It was a, a Vauxhall Nova, which would be uh, an Opal, I think, here. And it was, uh, it was a horrible thing. I thought it was really cool at the time. But the previous owner had owned dogs, and the dogs, the dogs left a smell, right? And my mum very, very kindly scrubbed down the chairs and tried to give it a bit of a wash, clean it out. But the car always had this kind of lingering smell. We gave it a nickname, which I won't tell you what it is because it wasn't a very nice nickname. But the car as well, not only did it smell, but it kept going wrong. And I love this car, but it kept breaking. You know, the exhaust would kind of rattle and puff and holes in it would develop and, you know, things that I don't really understand would break. I don't know anything about cars. I would just suddenly notice it was making a noise that it shouldn't make and think, is this just a new feature of the car that I've not noticed before? I remember once driving up to a roundabout and beginning to brake and the car made a noise so loud and terrifying that I ducked because I thought it was a plane that was flying straight. I was, oh my word, what's that noise? And then I was, oh, it's the car. What's going on here? I just kept driving because I thought, if, if, if I just keep going, it will just fix itself, right? <laughs> it, it will just, and then I prayed, God, why, just, just come and fix the car because I don't know what's wrong with this thing. Neither of those things worked. I had to take it to a garage, which cost money. And the thing is, you'd fix it and something else would go wrong. And you'd fix it and something else would go wrong. This car was... I'd love to say, I wanted it to be indestructible, but it was destructible. It just kept breaking. And, you know, I guess often we can feel a bit like that, that we fix things and then they break, that we try and make things better and think, oh, we've sort, I've sorted out that piece of my life, and then something over here falls apart. Or you might just feel like there's this kind of lingering odour, this kind of atmosphere of your life that just feels a little bit off, that something's just not quite working, that life just isn't really holding together. And it can sometimes feel a little bit like we've contracted some sort of virus, some sort of disease. And the reality is that we have. That's the story of the human race. We're all subject to this virus, this poison. It's like the, the, the hardware in our life is just broken. It just doesn't work properly. And humanity, and you might think, what are you talking about? My life doesn't look like that. If you just have a look at just the world around you, 
doesn't take long just to switch on the news or even talk to some of your friends and find out what's really going on in their life. If you go underneath what they're saying, if you ask a few questions, you'll suddenly find, wow, there's pain in your life, there's difficulty, there's happiness and joy as well, but there's things here that are hurting for you. Look all around us, that's just true, that's the story of the world around us. And that's why, that's why God had to come as someone who was truly and fully human, to step down into our broken world, to step down into, into the diseased planet that we live in and to come and be the antidote, the cure that comes and brings us this peace, this solution, this cure for a broken world. And let's get back to the story, shall we? Because you can imagine how, how Joseph and Mary must have been feeling in this story. You know, for Joseph, he's just found out that his virgin wife has become pregnant. If you just consider that for a moment, that is gonna hurt your brain and your heart to think, hold on a second, you're pregnant? How, how did this happen? You're gonna have some big questions about what's going on here. And he plans to kind of quietly divorce her. And he's petrified. He's, he's terrified of what's gonna happen. But yet, God comes to him and God says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. It's God's message to him. Do not fear. And then for, for Mary, this young peasant girl, she may have been only 14 or 15 years old. And yet suddenly she finds out this news as well, that she's pregnant. Well, how, how does this work? How, how is she feeling? How is she going to explain this to her parents and her friends? How is she going to survive the mocking? And the thing is, this, it's most likely that this probably happened it says in, in John 8 that some of the Pharisees who were kind of religious zealots, they said to Jesus, they insulted him. They say to him, we were not born of fornication. And they're talking about this. They're saying, yeah, your, your mum, Mary, she had an adulterous affair and they had you. That's what people believed at the time. And Mary would have been terrified that people would have said those sort of things. And she would have known that unfaithfulness during this betrothal period could be punishable by stoning. This was not a good thing to happen. And she would have been processing all these emotions. And yet, God says to her in Luke chapter 1, where an angel comes to speak to her and says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God comes to Joseph and says, do not fear. He comes to Mary and says the same thing. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. We see for, for also in the Christmas story, you find this story of Elizabeth and Zachariah, who in the same way, God, even though she, uh, Zach, uh, Elizabeth was barren, God comes to them and says, you're gonna have a child who's gonna be John the Baptist, he's gonna point the way to Jesus. In the same way, an angel comes to Zechariah, also in Luke chapter one, and says, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. 
Happens again. Happens in, to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, where uh, this, this angel comes to announce to these shepherds, you know, we just sing famous carols about it. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again and again, they have these encounters where God says to them, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. And maybe that's the message that you need to hear today, is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Because, you know, for many of us, maybe it's just the Christmas season. Maybe for, for some, some of us it just brings joy and happiness and fun. Maybe for you it, it brings fear. You're not looking forward to seeing certain members of your family. You're not sure how you're going to pay for it all. Maybe the whole experience for you is just not particularly enjoyable. Maybe there's other things going on in your life. You're trying to consider what's gonna, what your future's going to look like. You're trying to just get your study finished. You're trying to figure out, how, how's my job going to pay out? How, how, how's, how's money working? You might have all these questions about your life that can overwhelm us, and we can feel hopeless. And God says, do not fear. See, with God, we have this amazing hope. It's not based on our circumstances, what we see happening around us. It's based on what we find in God and who he is. It might be a bit like Mary, that you feel you've now, you've got a huge burden to carry. There's something in your life that you think, this is too much for me. I can't carry this. This is too much of a burden. It's, why do I have to carry this? Maybe it's an illness or a sickness, a situation in your life, in your family. You think, oh, this is too much for me. Someone take this away from me. I can't carry this. And yet God comes to you and says, do not fear. Now, you could think that that sounds a bit, a bit cheap, <laughs> a bit fake. You know, do not fear. What does that mean? It's just words. What, where's the power in that? You know, I could, I could say that to a friend of mine who's in a difficult season. You know, don't be afraid, you'll be fine. I say it to my kids all the time. Don't, you know, it's, it's just a spider, don't worry about it. And my kids think, Dad, you need to kill the spider. <laughs> that thing's going to eat me alive. And just to say, do not fear, can sound a bit, a bit cheap. But <laughs> the thing is, if you're God and you say, do not fear, that's not cheap at all. We were singing about it earlier. I read that passage from Job about everything that God's done, this creation that he's brought into being. And if that God of creation says to you, do not fear, then you don't need to fear. You can, you can trust him. You can trust him. Because it's not that he just says, do not fear, but it comes with a promise, this promise of Emmanuel, of God with us. You know, because I, I could say to, to somebody, you know, don't fear, I'll be with you. But as a human, I can only be with them to a certain extent. 
I can only guard them and protect them and help them to a certain limit. There's only so much that I can do if a friend of mine is walking through a difficult situation. That's, not, that's a really important thing to do. To, someone, to, to come alongside someone that you know is struggling, is in hardship, is just to say, look, I'm going, to be, I'm going to walk through this with you. That's an incredibly powerful thing to do. But that has its limits. But when God says, I'll be with you, that's incredibly powerful. Because it's not just a limited thing. There are no limits to that. It's full of power and might. See, because what, what, what we read in this story is that Matthew quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter 7, which is a really important verse. Um, and it's important, not, it's not just to show that um, the birth of Jesus was kind of predicted in Scripture, that hundreds of years ago, God had already told people that this was going to happen, which is, that is, that is true. All of the Old Testament, all of the Bible has been leading up to this point. I hope you've seen that as we've been working through Exodus together, that the book tells us a story of what happened to the, uh, the Israelites in Egypt, but at the same time, it's pointing us towards Jesus. It's directing our gaze towards him. And that's what the Old Testament does. It's pointing to this moment in history where everything changes. We find, you know, the Bible talks about even all of creation and its lostness and brokenness is groaning. It's been waiting for this moment waiting for this arrival of a savior. But also in, in Isaiah 7, there's something else going on here. Because the story of Isaiah chapter 7 is we find this, uh, this, this people, the people of Judah, God's people, who are, who are under threat, they're under attack. There are two uh, enemy powers to uh, evil countries, basically. It's kind of North Korea and Iraq who, who want to come in and cause some trouble, who are threatening them. And what happens is, is that Isaiah, who's a prophet, God tells him to go to the king, a guy called King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, and, and tells him that God's going to protect them, that God's got their back, that he's going to look after them. And, and let me just read this verse, it won't come up on the screen, but it says this, God says to Isaiah, Isaiah to say to Ahaz, take care and be calm, have no fear, that sounds familiar, have no fear, do not be faint-hearted. And then he says to, to Ahaz that he can pick a sign to prove this, to prove that God's going to protect them, he can pick a sign. Now, if I'm Ahaz and God says I can pick a sign, I'd think something along the lines of, I would like a million euros in my bank account. That would be a pretty good sign that you're going to prove yourself. But Ahaz, for some bizarre reason, he doesn't believe God, so he doesn't pick a sign. He says, oh, I just don't believe this is going to happen. So God very graciously says, well, okay, then I'll pick the sign. It says this in, in verse 14 of Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the sign that God chooses to give Ahaz. The sign to say that he's going to protect Ahaz and his people. He's going to look after them, that he's got their back, that he's, he's going to uh, enclose them in, that they're not going to be overwhelmed by this threat that's coming. 
And at the time, this probably referred to what we read about in, in Isaiah chapter 8, that Isaiah's wife gives birth to a son. The story is probably talking about that. But as well, it, it does point us to this greater saviour that will be born. This, the true Emmanuel, the true God with us. Who, In the same way that Ahaz is given this sign that God's going to protect them, that God's going to be with them, Emmanuel, that we've got uh, uh, more than just a sign. Jesus has come to be with us, to protect us, to guide us, to help us, to be with us, to defeat all the evil that could come against us, to defeat the greatest evil in our world of sin. Jesus has come to overpower all these things. It says in verse 21 of Matthew 1, you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you, you might think, you know, this is a great story, but I'm not like Mary. <laughs> you know, she comes off quite well in the Bible. She's just a, a peasant girl that suddenly has to carry this burden. She seems fairly innocent. Or you might think, well, I'm not like Joseph, this confused heartbroken groom-to-be trying to process what's happened. Again, he comes out quite well in this story. You might think, I'm not like, these are the good guys, I'm not like them. Because you might consider your own life, some of the things you've done, some things that you've said to people, some of the things that you probably should have said to people that you didn't, some of the things that you thought that you know you shouldn't have done some of the things that, that, that haunt you, that wake you up in the middle of the night, some of the things that just worry you, that you just can't get out of your head, that seem to plague you, that seem to follow you wherever you go, that rob you of your peace, that rob you of your hope. But Jesus stepped down to rescue you from all of that to be this God with us who's come to save us from all of those things. Has come to be with us, to come and live within you right now. And how do we know that's true? When we get to look now, we can look back at the cross and see that Jesus died for us and he rose again victorious, that he defeated death that he's won the great final victory. As I read earlier, he entered into this world as no man has ever entered it. He continued in this world as no man has ever continued it. He left this world as no man has ever left it. And you might notice in, in Matthew, where he quotes this verse from Isaiah, he actually, he quotes it slightly differently where it says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew writes it like this. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, who's Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That they is us. <laughs> That's us. We get to refer to him as Emmanuel now. 
it, it's a, that they is like a word of praise and declaration. It's, it's, it's something of victory that we can say, Emmanuel, God with us, with us, not just with them, not just with this story, not just with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the disciples and Paul and everything that's happening in the Bible, but with us. God's come to be with us. And that's the wonder of the Christmas story. That's the great hope we have. That's why we can say we don't need to fear because God's with us. He's on our side. He's won the final great victory for us. Why don't we, if you're comfortable to do so, why don't you stand and let's uh, pray together. In a moment, we'll share um, communion together. Communion is a, uh, a meal that Jesus took with his disciples before he died. He said to them, do this in remembrance of me. Keep doing it. So we do it because Jesus told us to. It's a meal for those who are believers in Jesus, who are followers in him, of him. Uh, so if, you're, if you don't know Jesus or if you're not sure, then, then we just ask that you sit this moment of the meeting out. Um, if you want to know Jesus, then you're not a Christian, then we'd love to pray with you. There's a team of people at the back who uh, would love to pray with you if that's you. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that we, we can look at the, uh, uh, the world around us. We, look, we can look at our own hearts. And if we're, if we're really honest to ourselves... There are things that can scare us, that can cause us to fear and to worry. There are things that mean we don't really have a lot of hope sometimes. But we know, Jesus, that you've made this promise to us. You said to us, don't fear. And you've, you've backed up that promise with decisive action that you came to live amongst us, that you died for us, that you rose again, that you've won this wonderful victory and through the Holy Spirit you're living now within us, that each one of us can be temples of the Holy Spirit, that we can each testify that God is with us in the most intimate and personal and powerful way. We just we want to remind our hearts of that this morning, where we forget so easily, where life overwhelms us, where fear and doubt, doubt and worry can consume us, we want to say to our hearts this morning, fear not. We thank you, Jesus, that that's true. It's not cheap words. It's not just a nice kind of placebo, something to kind of pep us up. It's true. You're alive. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus.